Hi, I'm Jacqueline Freeman. And I'm Sarah Korn. You're listening to Kitchen Table Alchemy, living in full color. This is a podcast for people who see and spread the magical in everyday life. Welcome to Kitchen Table Alchemy. Um, so today we've got a special podcast because Sarah is devoting herself to um, the, you know, N- November is the National Book Writing Month, right? So she is devoting herself to those efforts and is not going to be able to meet with me this month. So today, um, as the gracious universe would have it, Paige Sullivan is able to join me on the mic today. So, um, so I'm really excited to have her here and I think that y'all are also really going to love what she has to say. So Paige is a local artist here in Phoenix, and I met her through through a friend of mine, and um, she painted the beautiful murals that are in my side garden, my little fairy garden, and she jumped into an Artist Way group that we put together. Mm -hmm. And... um, I just love the things that you contribute to that group and, and I love your work anyway. I just, you, this, you live in this like magical world and that's really apparent through your, through the work that you do. So that like, that fits kitchen table alchemy, right? So, (laughs) (laughs) so Paige is going to be with us today. And so we were going to talk about some pretty awesome things. I'm really excited. Okay, today is November 1st, so Mm -hmm. it is Dia de los Muertos. Um, This is huge in this part of the country. Mm -hmm. And um, the month of October, of course, is a month of working with the ancestors, Mm -hmm. and the veils are seen as being really thin at Mm -hmm. this time. So so I would love for us to talk a little bit about Dia de los Muertos, working with our ancestors, and... um, and some of the things that have been coming up in this very interesting year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it has been interesting for sure. Oh, yeah. And mm-hmm. so, like, last night um, I was watching um, some documentaries on the witch trials in England. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that really came up for me, and I think this is one of the things, you know, it, in this political climate that we, there's some people even calling mm-hmm. for people to pick up their torches and pitchforks. Ironic, isn't it? <laughs> oh my goodness. So, um, so obviously there's a lot of ancestral pain that's mm-hmm. feeding into some of the fear mm-hmm. that's happening right now. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, so I just wanted us to talk a little bit about that. I think it's really powerful to, um, to spend some time on one of the things that I've um, that I spent my morning pages on this morning was um, how when we're spending time othering or thinking that other people are the ones that have the capacity for this and not us, right? Um, then we're not really looking at how these things happen, right? Mm-hmm. Like how how we get to a place of the Holocaust, how we how we go through something like the witch trials. Like if we're saying, Oh, well those people were so dot, dot, dot. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and thinking that we're superior somehow and that we don't have the capacity to fall into that. Um, 
I do not believe that Americans are exceptional. (laughs) (laughs) I think people are people are people are people. And Uh they will respond in very similar ways under similar circumstances. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. um, And when we're doing this kind of othering, then that the energy and the time and the attention that we're putting on judging others is time we're not spending doing our own work, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and so that's one of the things that we try to do here on Kitchen Table Alchemy is try to flip these things inward all the time, mm-hmm. right? Um, but one of the things that was really striking me watching the documentary last night was um, in each of these sort of rashes of witch hunts that happened... Um, and I, I only know England and America. I don't know. We had talked very briefly about, you know, Germany and other places where they had the witch hunts. right? Yeah, exactly. Uh So I, it it does make me want to do some more work on, on the Dutch at least, because Mm -hmm. I can understand the source, the source text language. But, um, like, you know, there seemed to be one incident that would happen with somebody in the population that was very, very vulnerable um, and they would be tortured until they got a confession out of them, mm-hmm. right? Um, and and then, of course, that confession was used to kill 30, 50, 70, mm-hmm. 100 more people. Um, and so I couldn't, last night when I was watching it, I was really struck by um, that poor soul, right? <laughs> that, that let loose the first confession mm-hmm. and how... Um, and really wondering if, like, if they are at peace now or if they've been able to release the guilt that they must feel from mm-hmm. from seeing, you know, of course, they were dead before all this happened. But, you know, once yeah. you get past the other side, like, then you're seeing the consequences of your actions. Right. And, um, yeah, just really wondering, like, where where are they with that and what kind of things can we do to facilitate that process so that mm-hmm. we can sort of... Well, I think what um, there there are several things that need to happen with that. One is if you're looking at the past and you're having a reaction to it, then I think it's important for us to own our reactions to it because then it's it's our stuff. Because once they're on the other side, I believe that they unite with Godhead and they get they get an emotional clearing of that. But also, what I think happens is the energy of their emotions when they were going through all of that is still stuck here in the collective unconscious. And so as we spoke earlier, I think that's why um, today, why people don't want to stand out, why they don't want to be more creative, that actually comes from the witch hunts because you didn't want to stand out in any way or else you were somebody that was going to be drug in and tied to the stake. And so today, isn't that interesting? Today we have a fear about standing out and that's where it comes from. Right. From the old country. And, right, you know, right. these witch hunts. Yeah, it, yeah, 500, know, 600 years ago. Yeah. Yes. And it's interesting because in places like the Netherlands, for example, I mean, I think, you know, the the voyage that my ancestors, ancestors made to get here, I think there must have been a loosening in some ways of mm-hmm. that because because um, we are scared to stand out, but Americans not as much as the old country. Right. Right, like in But Holland. you find that out particularly the farther west you go. Like That's when I go true. visit my daughter on the east coast, and when I meet people that are from Maryland and places like that, they say that they want to move out of it or they moved out of it because everybody has a way of doing things and it worked for their grandparents and it's fine for them and they don't want to change it. And I had a friend from New York who said the same thing. He said he came out here 
because he finds the farther west you go, the more adventurous people are, the more they're willing to take risks. And it makes sense if you think about the pilgrims going west to find opportunity. Right. Well, yeah, and just kind of decide that you don't, I mean, those are the people that decided that they didn't want to have that status quo Mm -hmm. anymore, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, and, you know, still stuck in patterns and committed, continued to commit atrocities as they went across. So it's not that we, you know, Mm -hmm. were able to leave all of that nastiness behind, Mm -hmm. right? But there, um, and it was one of those things when I came back to the States um, from Holland in 2005, uh, and I had converted to Islam before I came back. I was wearing hijab when I returned to the mm-hmm. States. So so I, I really did have this immigrant experience. I came back with a hijab on my head, 50 bucks in my pocket and a duffel bag, wow. right? Mm-hmm. And like, and built my life back up from that space. And it was one of the things that I noticed as soon as I came back, how much more room there was here mm-hmm. to be me and do me, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, there just wasn't room in Holland. I mean, there's mm-hmm. really this, I remember someone, someone um, like taking, and this is the most silly banal example, right? But it shows like how it's woven into so many things in daily society. Like they took the wheel of cheese for me or the wedge of cheese for me and were like, no, this is how we cut cheese, Right? Because like, uh-huh. I was like pulling, like shaving off these pieces for my sandwich, you know? Oh, gosh. And it was like, <coughs> it's my sandwich. Mm-hmm. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, it literally That's has hilarious. absolutely nothing wow. to do with you. <laughs> I'm not doing this for a catering plate or something, you know? Like, these are the slices of cheese that will go on my mm-hmm. sandwich, that will go in my. I'm not even mm-hmm. sharing the sandwich. You know what I mean? It was amazing. But mm-hmm. there's all these sayings there about the tallest ear of corn is the first one cut off. And, you know, they have all these really terrifying idioms Mm -hmm. that speak to the danger of standing out, right? Right. And the Mm -hmm. danger of growing faster than those around you and, you know, Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. So, um, and it was one of the things that had really struck me too about, you know, the line of inquiry in so many of these trials, like people were being put on trial because they were healing in the community. Mm-hmm. Right. So mm-hmm. obviously there were these rumors and whatever of, oh, well, so-and-so looked at me funny on the road and then my cow died, you know, like there was all that kind of stuff. But, um, but there were people that came under suspicion because they were healing. Yes. You know, yeah. um, and the way that that speaks to, the fears that we have about standing in our own, in our own power and our yeah. own truth. Right. Yeah. Right. So, and I know this is something that you, that you have really done a lot of work around mm-hmm. and with to come through that. Like, mm-hmm. I love your story on so many pieces of this. Could you, <laughs> I love the story that you told us, um, about your experience with, um, with going through school, going through fine arts school. Yes. Uh-huh. And what that did and how you came out. Could you mind sharing yeah, that? Sure. Um, yeah, when I went to art school, um, it was back in the early 80s. So the big deal was to be political, um, which is funny because I was listening to a, another woman artist speak just recently, and she was mentioning having the same issue in art school, and she went in the 90s. Wow. But when I was in school, you either had to talk about abortion, your art did, or it had to talk about apartheid. Those are the two really hot topics. Well, I'd never had an abortion, 
and I won't. I don't want to do art on abortion because it. it I can't come from my personal experience right, on that. Right. And to me, that's what art is about: is coming from your personal experience. Yeah. And um, apartheid. I didn't want to do work on that either because I, I'm not from South Africa, and I'm not saying I didn't sympathize with what was happening or empathize with what was happening, but I don't have enough firsthand experience knowledge. So I feel like my art that I would create from that would be patronizing at best. Right. So, but that right. was sort the of perpetuating push. the systems of oppression in our attempts to yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and so I after I got out of art school, I graduated um, in 1987. But it took me a long time to start painting again, about ten years. What can you talk a little bit about, like what, like what the responses to your to your work in that space and what that did and felt like? Can you? Okay. Well, the first um, when I started painting again, the first show I did was the Fall Festival for the Mill Avenue Tempe show, and or to back up a little bit and talk about like what that because I think there's probably a lot of people that can really relate okay. to that kind of story, right? And it's one of the things that I loved in um, The Artist's Way. She talks about um, how there are so many people that are deeply wounded in their process of going through school, right? Mm-hmm. Because the academic environment is about criticism and rules. And solving problems. Right. So you're, all, you're trained to look for problems all the time. Right, which just kills creativity. It does, yeah. and also comparison does the same mm. thing. So true. Yeah, so true. Like, how do you find your authentic voice when you're always, right? Comparing your work to other artists. Yeah. Yeah. And we've been talking about that in one of my, um, uh, in my funerals class, actually, we were talking about like, what does a master look like? And that was the thing that I came out with was like, I think the master doesn't compare anymore. They just do their own stuff. Right. Right. But of course, as students, part of learning technique is to compare ourselves but it it does a it does a horrible <laughs> number on creativity yeah, you, and all of you're the you're dealing with and, judgment that's yeah. what criticism or critiquing is is it's supposed to be positive judgment if that's even if that can even be a phrase right. but what what happens is um what it happened for me is that I started judging my own work right and so moving past judging it was really difficult mm-hmm. but once I did it completely freed me up artistically and I was able to shut you down first right oh yeah for a really really long time yeah a really long time yeah because I think there's a lot of people that have that experience and Mm -hmm. we all buy into this idea that yeah 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 whatever no but my stuff really sucked You yes. don't. You don't mm-hmm. understand. Like I understand a lot of people go through this process, but <laughs> but in my case, <laughs> and all artists say that, right? <laughs> they all say that. Yeah. Oh, so like, so you were in the space where you believed that your stuff was just terrible and shouldn't be out there. You were doing the world a favor by not painting, or and I didn't. What know, was the trip that you put? on I didn't yourself? know what art was supposed to look like. Oh. I made this piece in a ceramics class and it was a a living room scene and Anubis was sitting there watching TV and everybody in the (laughs) ceramics department was going nuts over it thinking, this is great, this is great art. And I thought, shit, what makes it great art? I don't know what makes it great art because they like it or is there, and there, there seemed to be some kind of invisible standard out there and I had no clue what that was Mm. it had nothing to do with like having a golden ratio in your, in your painting, making sure all the elements balance, nothing like that. Right, right, right. I just didn't even know what art was, but I was supposed to make it, and it was supposed to be amazing. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and be comparable to yes. the, the masters, right? Yeah. Right. 
Right. Right. So that just trying to like find out what it even was, just that in and of itself shut mm-hmm. you down. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then how did you, so talk about how you, how you managed to pull out of that. You went 10 years without yeah. doing anything you said. Yeah. No, no painting. No, none, none of that. So just working to pay off the student loans. No. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I remember I paid one off and I forgot I had gotten two. So I got this other bill for another three grand. I'm like, what's this? And it depressed me. So I just yeah. quit paying it for a year. Mm. <laughs> and they're like, no, actually, you have to still pay that. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> I was on a long cruise of denial. But anyway. So, so um, yeah. So you went yeah. 10 years without mm. painting anything. And then tell us a little bit about how... Like, how did you get back on the horse again? That's a that's a long time. It's a long time. It also affected my writing because I didn't write for 10 years either. Mm. Um, it's funny because I started off actually with a piece about the feminine divine. Mm. I did a painting on that and that kind of opened the door. And I love stories and I love children's yeah. stories. So I started illustrating the Arabian Nights. Oh, okay. And I did pen and ink and watercolor and just enjoyed it and really enjoyed, enjoyed it. But even then, in a course of a year, I might do maybe 10 or 12 paintings, which to somebody who isn't an artist might sound like a lot. But when I approach galleries and talk to them about having my work, they want me doing a painting a week. They want to see 52 works of art in a year. And the way I work is much slower than that. And um, I paint things that are spiritually channeled. So it, like a, half my um, compositions will come in through dreams. Mm. I'll get a dream and, and it's like I'll hear a voice and it will say, this is the painting and this is here and that's there. And But it's channeled. It, it right. comes from spirit. Right, right, right. So it's you really feel like it's coming through you mm-hmm. as opposed to from you. And once I made that connection where I connected it with my spirituality, with how I connect spiritually with the world, then it really started flowing. But when I just tried keeping it academic... And just, this is a political piece. Right. It, it wasn't working for me, but when I connected spiritually, it completely revolutionized everything. Okay. And so then I made my painting about healing, and I, I put prayer in it, and I do ceremony over it. And I blow smoke into my canvases before I work on them. Mm. So everything has a ceremony done on it. All of my work does. Mm. And they have prayers buried on the surface of the canvas that I've painted in gold ink or gold paint. And in some canvases, you can see the loops of the letters, but it was when I made that connection that it really started mm. moving forward. So it wasn't an illustration of like, in, if you're, um, say, an artist who wants to illustrate the Bible, it wasn't an illustration of a story. It wasn't like it, illuminative. It's a prayer in itself. Right, the right, art right. was a prayer in itself. Right. So uh, something beyond illuminated text even. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... Mm-hmm. Um, so you said that you, like, what got you to, de- to decide after 10 years of not painting to do, to do the illustrations? Was there something well, that happened to open that door? Because what happened was I decided to completely surrender it to spirit. And I'm like, I'm just going to surrender it and I'll wait for this voice to come out of the ethers to tell me what. <laughs> <laughs> was, there <something, laughs> was there something that had happened that made you miss that I mean because 10 years like what it's got a long you to... time yeah and I was really frustrated during that time but I had little kids too okay so okay okay I was um raising children at the time okay and so there wasn't a whole lot strangely enough the younger they were the easier it was if I wanted to be creative to do something but the older they got and the more they had lives and they were doing soccer or whatever then it was it was more difficult 
right, right, to right. do stuff. Then you're like taxi driver. And yeah. <laughs> there's yeah. N- and there's not as much time. It's interesting, isn't it, how a lot of times we don't, um, we don't continue to foster that creativity mm-hmm. in children as they age, right? Like when they're little, mm-hmm. we spend a lot of time with creativity and um, and have finger paints and, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I, it's actually, I think I still have like a little crayon thing in my, um, in my little toiletry kit in my purse so that mm-hmm. if somebody brings their kid to dinner or whatever and they don't, I'm amazed at how many people take their children somewhere and don't bring anything to keep them busy. Yes. Right? Like I always yes. had a pad of paper and crayons in my purse, like Miles' entire childhood, <laughs> I had a pack of crayons and paper in my purse. And so um, so I still kind of do that. If there's kids that come somewhere, uh-huh. then we'll, you know, we'll find some paper and I'll put the little crayons down. But um, but when kids are, and it's one of these things too, when you look at people's art, a lot of times the expression mm-hmm. stalls out somewhere around seven or eight years old, mm-hmm. right? Like if you mm-hmm. ask someone to draw a stick figure or draw, draw a drawing about something, then you're looking somewhere between five and seven is what what the the level looks mm-hmm. like. And it's interesting how we and I have always wondered, and I wondered if this is one of those things because because I also am an artist, right? So I feel like, oh, well, I can do it. Anybody can do it. You know, mm-hmm. like musicians, those are the real artists. Cause right. I like the idea of composing mm-hmm. a symphony just makes my brain explode. Like I don't even know how they do it. How do they do yeah. that? You know, so so but you know, oh writing, well that's just a skill you develop and painting. That's uh-huh. just something you open yourself up to, right? But um uh, but it's interesting, and I and I've often wondered like what would happen if we continued to encur- just encourage children in those spaces, right? right? Like seven or eight is about the age that we start critiquing, and they're they also judge whether or not what they're drawing looks exactly like what they're trying to draw. Yes, that's I true. once worked for a famous artist who thought that they should teach creativity in school as opposed to teaching art. It's a little different. Yeah. How to be creative. And so instead, the kids are shown these master's paintings where it looks like a photograph. And they're like, oh, I've got to do it that way. And that's actually what blocked me is is the art history that I was learning. When I was in college, I discovered Maxfield Parrish and Klimt and these other artists that Mm. I didn't learn about in art school because they weren't abstract or they weren't, you know, whatever. And I loved that type of art. And, I, wow. and we didn't touch Art Nouveau at all. And so I found these other art movements and I thought, oh, this is really cool. And so then I thought, well, who's really running the art movement these days? You know, because <laughs> it's like, this is the one way you're going to think. We right. want you thinking this way and this is the only way to make it happen. But um, there's millions of ways to make it happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, so the kids had been keeping you really busy. Mm-hmm. And so was it also... The kids then that had inspired the, the, the yeah. storytelling, yeah. like, can you... But you know what? It wasn't specifically my own children that inspired me. It was the little girl that I was. Because mm. when I was a little girl in the 70s, the books we had had these really lightly colored yes. pages. They, You know, that was in... There weren't these bright, vivid colors no, at true. all. No, it's true. It was very minimalistic, wasn't it? It was. I'm thinking of the illustration for The Giving Tree, for example, yes. from Shel Silverstein. Like, yes. You know, or the Purple Crayon book. Yes. Like, very bold graphic line, but not... Very minimalistic. Very much which so. Which is not your work. 
No, no. it wasn't. And so when I when I started these illustrations, it was to feed that inner child that didn't have those things mm. and wanted those things. And that was really the opening up. Like we were talking earlier yeah. about feeding the inner child in you that needs something. Right. And so when I feed that that child, when I ask that child what it wants or what it thinks, I mean the answers are ancient, like like this mm. child has got some wisdom, some major wisdom. Yeah. And that's what, that was really the thing that opened it up. Mm, okay. Yeah. And, and you know what else is interesting? My kids, um, when they were older, um, I remember one Christmas, um, they, they, they wrote out Christmas lists and I went shopping and I got them presents that I thought would be so cool. They would love them and they opened them up and they're like, eh. And they're like, well, what I really wanted was this. And then I realized, I'm so glad that sometimes I'm a fast learner, but mm. at that moment I realized, holy crap, I was shopping for myself. Because these are the things I wanted for Christmas and never got. Right. So I can't say enough about feeding that inner child. So yeah. after that, whenever they gave me a list, everything they got was on the list. Yeah. And I had had the same childhood. My mom had given me all these things that, that she, she had, wanted had wanted as a little girl. And I remember so one true. year, she's like, why aren't you writing a letter to Santa? And I said, Santa never reads the letters. I always ask for this, this, and this, and he doesn't bring it. <sighs> Not to sound ungrateful or anything, but <laughs> but I realized when that when I was doing that to my own kids, I thought, holy crap, my mother was was vicariously living through yeah. my experience, getting the things that she had wanted. Mm. And I think there's a lot to be said about that. Yeah, there is. There really, really is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that. Um, and I remember when Miles was little, you know, our first trip to the toy store. Matt and I had a blast, you know, and we're just like, God, this parenting thing's going to be awesome, you know, and, and there was, you know, and I think a lot of parents, especially with toddlers, as they get older, they, mm-hmm. they're like, whatever, I don't like it. And they don't play with anything, but like babies and toddlers, you spend like $85 on this present mm-hmm. and then all they care about is the box. <laughs> I just went through that recently, actually. <laughs> And so I learned with Miles, like, oatmeal canisters and a wooden spoon. Like, that's all he needs, you know? So let him go into the cupboard in the kitchen and pull the pans out. And, you know, Mm. that's he's happy with that. He doesn't need anything more. But, yeah, there's really something about, like, not... Because we get to the space where we think, okay, well, we have to put that behind. Um, and, and, And so then we end up doing this we, we don't allow our children to be their own people mm-hmm. you know um and i think we're we're like culturally intellectually we're shifting that right mm-hmm. but um but i think in a lot of ways when it comes to the emotional reality and what's really happening that maybe it's not being shifted as much as we would like it to be mm-hmm. right like mm-hmm. um because if we're not if we haven't taken care of that inner child mm-hmm then that is what's going to be running the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is what's going to be running the show. So mm-hmm. um, you had talked in the Artist Way group. I don't know if it was, was it this week? Just passed. Um, you had talked a little bit about um, deciding to take a class. Yes. Uh-huh. For the art. Can you yes. talk about that a little bit? Yes. Um, the best decision I ever made for myself was to start taking painting classes again. And I did them online, and I found some amazing, amazing teachers online. And the classes were great. They're self-paced. I took a class from Shiloh Sophia, who does Color of Woman, and Flora Boley, and they were amazing 
amazing teachers and that absolutely opened everything up again so it's like a Mm. series of birds i'm constantly rebirthing myself as an artist (laughs) yeah so this was great and i did that and you know what it's funny because i didn't take classes for years and years i wanted to but i didn't because i thought i was too old Mm. and i'm in my 30s when i'm thinking this (laughs) (laughs) i'm 53 now so what the heck what was i thinking (laughs) yeah nothing of spending money on um spiritual classes i'm always you know i'm spiritually evolving but but um the creativity you know i finally just took the plunge and did it and i haven't looked back Mm. i love it even though i sell my art i'm still taking online classes and i flew Mm. to portland oregon and took live from flora bowley and it was amazing oh Oh, wow (sighs) <laughs> and so I realized I have been missing out on a whole lot of wonderful treating myself to stuff. So, mm. yeah. Can you talk about like that decision to like go ahead and pull the trigger on that? What got you over that? I'm too old for this. What got you? I mean, I'm sure mm-hmm. having having spent however much on your <coughs> arts degree, I can imagine yeah. for myself that I'd be thinking well, like, well, honey, I've already spent so much money on learning art. Like, right. Yeah. Like what were some of the things that you're using to kind of trip yourself out? and staying well, away from the class and then what did you do mm-hmm. to go ahead and get off that get out of that car and and drive it yeah exactly get out of the passenger side um, and drive it well i was intimidated by using acrylics mm. because i've seen tons of really um thick or just kind of it sounds judgy but crappy acrylic art i've done some of this crappy acrylic art but so i can say that and because <laughs> i didn't know how to use it mm. so um i there was a class um shiloh sophia had a class called queen of your own heart it was only 97 dollars. you had a whole month to do it and i thought you know what what the heck it's only it's like under 100 bucks right you know it's it's a one-shot wonder I'll take it. And if I suck at it, I'm like, okay, well, chalk it up. But I had so much fun learning the, the new mm. techniques and everything and a lot of stuff I didn't know. And um, it was easy. The videos were all like less than five minutes long, most of them. And I thought, wow, this is actually a lot of fun. So then okay. I took, then I signed up for her yearly thing and started doing things. And we we're supposed to do 12 paintings in a year. That did not happen. I did four. So. <laughs> I was happy with those four. You did get to like a divisible of 12 anyway. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) One a quarter. One a quarter. How's that? (laughs) And it was all different versions of the Blessed Mother is what we were doing. So each month was a different and it was, it had different prayers around it and all of that. And Mm. just learning how she did her, um, her system okay was pretty amazing so so was that where you were introduced then to the idea of your art being a spiritual practice then well I had done it before spiritually okay. I had done but I hadn't like actually written into the canvas a prayer mm. and she did that okay so um there were some new techniques spiritually I picked up from her and I got to broaden my my practice a great deal okay um learning from her okay okay so and so was that like I can imagine that would be like a huge affirmation. Oh yeah. Were, so you were were you seeing it then as a spiritual during school? Was that something that you were awake to at school or was that something that came after? When I was in school I was just trying to do um the assignments okay. but I didn't know 
it was just it was difficult because I didn't know what they wanted Mm. And I didn't, because I was, I come from a Southern family, people pleasing, right. all of that yes, stuff. Yes, another recovering Southern belle. All of that. <laughs> and so I didn't know how to people please. And so, right. and yet still have my own authentic voice. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh, yes, that is the laugh of recognition. Absolutely. <laughs> like, or that sort of like, just be yourself. You're your best, most fantastic, put together, awesome self. But, you know, just be you. Do you and make me happy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that was it. Totally. So I didn't know how to deliver any of that. I didn't know how to deliver any of it. Mm, okay. So, okay. It was so the spirituality wasn't really a part of it in school. No, not then it wasn't. Okay. But where I picked it up, what when I was a little girl, um, I think I was ten at the time. Um, my family's kind of dysfunctional. I've <laughs> observed that my mother's a lot like Baba Yaga. I love her dearly, mm. but there are chicken feet under that house. I'm telling you. Right. 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 Anyway, right. um, I wanted to do something to make myself happy, so I drew a picture of these two cats and I put Christmas colors in them because Christmas was my favorite holiday at the time and I did it in glitter red and green glitter and then I closed my eyes and I just concentrated on that feeling I get around Christmas time because it was the only time my parents weren't fighting oh that was the opposite of my house but go ahead yeah Yeah. I know and I found that since then with a lot of people but in my house that was the only time that they weren't fighting because usually there would be friends coming over and they'd been engaged in that so I had that feeling so I Mm. built that feeling up built it up had my eyes closed and then I opened my eyes up and just beamed that emotion right into the picture Mm. and then uh, tears of happiness were flowing down my face I really felt it and I also had, I was pretty swift as a 10-year-old. I mean, if we could go back to that child stuff, I'm telling you. Because I knew that I I think I had, it's a big challenge in life, actually, is to find ourselves. I think when we're like 10 years old, we're the most us we're going to be yeah. before the hormone tidal wave comes. Yeah. And that sort of the, the point of life is to find our way back to if that you can place. Re- if you can yeah. connect with your child self and, and yet be like child um like as an adult that's the ticket right there yeah totally but i had the wisdom to know that i needed to stick that drawing in in a drawer and not have anyone see it it was Mm. just for me and so but when i was feeling sad every time i pulled a drawer open and pulled that picture out i would be overwhelmed with this intense feeling of joy and Mm. the funny thing is is decades later i'm reading um esther hicks and her abraham books yeah and that's actually an exercise abraham recommends to charge something with happiness is to build up a feeling inside of yourself Mm. really feel it have your eyes closed and then when you open your eyes you beam that feeling into whatever that is wow so and i but i was doing that at 10 right just instinctively and so every time i looked at the picture it was like it was just giving me a dose and then it would right and then it would just continue like that perpetuating energy machine kind of idea because every time you get it from it and then you're putting more back so it keeps charging itself yeah right yeah, right. that's really similar to what I call like pressing emotional bricks. And it's one mm-hmm. of the techniques that I use with my clients when we're looking to shift relationship patterns and things like mm-hmm. this is rather than the list making brain, right? A lot of people will 
look for a new partner and they have their list of things mm-hmm. that they want, but rather than the list making brain to really focus on the emotions that you want to experience mm-hmm. in that relationship. And I call it pressing emotional bricks is to have these experiences and then really like, ah, oh, yes, this is what I want really mm-hmm. finding. So like, that's kind of the same idea, but it's even taking it a step further. I love that. that there's like, now you've got something physical mm-hmm. that you've focused that into and, and are using that as a, um, as a tool for alchemy. Yeah. And it yeah. worked. I mean, that is what alchemy is because you're taking mm-hmm. the lead and you're using that spiritual component to transform it into gold. Right. Which is why I use glitter today when I do portraits of people's past lives and their spirit guides. I'll use like a lot of glitter in that. Mm. That's where the magic is, is in the glitter. Right, right, right. <laughs> well, and I love, so my sacred arts teacher, um, Bree Saucy, has this marvelous class called Sp- Spinning Gold. Oh, and cool. so I even she, love the title. I know, right? And she, um, so she uses folk tales to help you deepen your spiritual magical mm-hmm. practice, right? Um, so like how up my alley is that? Obviously, I had oh, to right. take this course when I found out about it. So, um, but in her telling of Rumpelstiltskin, that's the thing that she really focuses on, that it's not so much turning lead into gold it's finding the gold in the lead mm-hmm. like that finding the shared qualities and then just continuing to expand that space mm-hmm. right and it's it's a very similar That's sort of wonderful right it's a very similar like process that. to to like meditation is that you're mm-hmm. you're okay find whatever your aperture is it doesn't matter if it's a pinhole that's letting that little tiny bit of light in right mm-hmm. find that pinhole and and then just keep focusing on that so that you can stretch it just a little bit wider so you can stretch it just a little bit wider right and with mm-hmm. practice then eventually you've got that you know then it's open to where you can easily look through like a peephole then it's as mm-hmm. as big as a porthole then it's a door you know like you can continue to expand that space mm-hmm. until you're until you have shifted the entire thing over right like and that's exactly how creativity works with that and how my opening up to my painting happened because the more you do it the more you do it that's just how it is yeah Mm -hmm. okay so let's talk a little bit more i'm gonna zoom this out again um Let's talk a little bit more about uh, ancestor, working with the ancestors in this time, mm-hmm. um, and talk a little bit more specifically about how we're doing that, right? Like mm-hmm. what the purpose is and and the ways that we're doing it. So, um, so what are what are and this is something that for for a lot of people it's very very common, but I think for a lot of people they're waking up to this idea of reconnecting with those that have gone before. Mm-hmm. Um, and my teacher talks about the ancestors don't necessarily have to be blood ancestors, right? That they can be, I believe the same way. Yeah. That it can yeah. be like spiritual or intellectual ancestors, people that we really resonate connect with, with and connect to. Yeah. Um, and, and that the word ancestors literally means those that have gone before. Mm-hmm. Right. Whereas the descendants are those that come after mm-hmm. and, and it can be the same, that they don't have to be blood, right? So a mm-hmm. lot of times people have a harder time connecting to the descendants because they don't have children, for example. Or adopted people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They don't and know it, how to do an ancestral thing. Yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. then it doesn't have to necessarily be blood. And like, so in my family, um, when I first started opening up to this idea, um, 
Well, kind of backstory a little bit. I'd had someone tell me years ago in Holland, I had someone tell me that I was a witch. And I was like, what are you talking about? And they're like, I'm like, I don't, I don't what, I, what does that mean? I don't even know what, you know what I mean? I had no idea. Like what this guy felt like it came out of nowhere. And they were like, no, it's a, it's a bloodline, right? It's not necessarily like a practice of any mm-hmm. sort. It's, it's a, it's something that's conveyed on the, on the bloodline and it comes yeah. to the mother's. He was like, is anyone in your family a witch? And I'm like, I come from a very long line of repressed conservative people, right? Like, this is, <laughs> Isn't no, that a great question? You know? And so, like, no. And um, so then he said, and it's funny because I realize now that a lot of times the people that are the most, like, conservative and, and um, they, they actually have incredibly powerful intuitive gifts, right? Mm-hmm. And it scares them. And right. so they're trying to, like, push that, like, keep it reined in somehow, right? So, uh-huh. so a lot of times the, the super conservative people, actually, they, they are, right? And they're fighting against it. So the, 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 the rigidity and the rules and things like that are them trying to hold themselves in, and then it gets projected outwards, right? Um, but, yeah, this person had said this to me, and it was like, huh, I have no idea. And then he, he said, well... Um, is there any family member during Halloween that would dress up as a witch like almost every year? And I was They're really like, looking for confirmation. And I was like, um, yeah, pretty much every woman in my family dressed up as a witch every year. My mom dressed literally every Halloween that I can remember. My yeah. mom dressed as a witch. My Aunt Jean always dressed as a witch. My grandmother had a like a mole with hair that came out of it on the end of her nose. I mean, right. Awesome. Like, you know, like, awesome. so. <laughs> my friends and I talk about the witch hairs and yes. you get a hair that grows on your chin. It's yes. witch hair. Yes. I have many of them. <laughs> I can't even take a weekend trip without my tweezers because they're so fast. Yeah. And those are the witch hairs. Yes. That's when you know you're a witch. If you have hairs on your chin, <laughs> on your chinny chin chin, even. <laughs> my chinny chin chin. So, <laughs> That's it. I have them on all three. And so, <laughs> so, um, uh, so it was really interesting. And when I started learning more about ancestral work and the ways that we, one of the things that occurred to me too was how, you know, um, and of course it's the way we've set it up, but the DNA strands have got these letters mm-hmm. and I started wondering like, so is this is there this family story mm-hmm. that's written into us, right? And that we're with each new blossoming generation, we're here to work that story out in our own way because this this is the song of my people. I mean, right. people sort of joke about that, but I but I think there's there's a um, there's a lot of truth to this idea, right? And uh-huh. because you'll if you do, if you are able to find out stories from, from great, great, greats that maybe you didn't meet in real life, but right. then if you've got someone in the family, that's a little more forthcoming with mm-hmm. family history. Um, and to hear these stories about people that you never even met and mm-hmm. you relate to it so much, right? Like right. they mm-hmm. went through these very similar challenges and had these very similar problems and wrestled with the same issues that you're mm-hmm. wrestling with that we often feel like this is so modern and new that I'm in this pinch point that I'm in. Right. But those that walked before wrestled with it within their own mm-hmm. time frame, right? So, mm-hmm. so that's when I started getting interested in it and thought, 
wow, like what, what is that then? And what's my family song? What's, yeah. what are we here to do? What right. are we, and, and then in investigating, there's three different, there's three different people in our family that were left on doorsteps. So we mm-hmm. have no idea, right? My father's side of the, of the family tree we're in the Alderman books and there's very detailed family history about when we left mm-hmm. England and everything that we did and all the places we stopped and, you know, like, um, but my mom's side, it's, it's totally truncated. So, so I couldn't investigate that history in the traditional ways. Mm-hmm. I couldn't, I did the genetic testing. I did those kinds of things and it just didn't, you know, it was just a bunch of circles over Northwestern Europe. You know, yeah. <laughs> It didn't give me that like, that, that closure. Yes. That, yeah. Like I remember seeing this yeah. documentary in a uh, BBC documentary called the motherland uh-huh. where they had done DNA swabs with people and they like found like their tribe. Yeah. And, that's the stuff I want is this test like that. Yes. And I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't even know if they can, so many of those European tribes are no more. Right. right? They were fully colonialized. The language mm-hmm. is gone. The religion is gone. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all gone now. And so um, so now uh, it becomes even more important, right, for me to to connect, to find a way to connect with that, and and carry carry that torch through. Right. Yeah. Right. So, and what like what about what about you? What are some of the things that connect you to that? Why is well, that important for you? I remember when I was eleven, I was talking to my mom, and I asked her. I said, "What memory do you have from your past?" that carries you forward in life so when life is hard it it's just something that it it carries you you connect with it it's like it it reminds you of who you are I mean I'm not sure how to word that but it just makes you feel really good it's a memory that despite how hard life is this memory comes in and you're like yeah that's it and then you feel really good right it's like a hand fast like a hand grip that you can hold on to to and I'm sorry to say I can't remember what she said but I told her that I remember my great grandmother visiting, and she had had both legs amputated at the hip at the birth of my grandmother. Mm. So she actually didn't get to raise her own child because the state didn't think that, you know, oh. a woman with needs like that could raise a child. So she, my grandmother, wound up getting raised by relatives. Mm. But I remember her coming to visit, and she had curlers in her hair, and I got to pull the curlers out of her hair. And I got to put lipstick on her lips. And I got to push her wheelchair into the kitchen. And I banged the wall a few times. And, and we came to the table. And she'd, she had just made chocolate chip cookies for me, which were my favorite. And they were cooling. And I'm eating the cookies. And it was it's just this memory of feeling really loved. And I'm mm. about five years old at the time. And this is the thing for me. I mean, I love this memory. Mm. And my mother said to me, that tender. never happened because she died when you were a year old. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and she said something to me, and I can't remember what it was. So, and then, you know, some people have suggested, well, it's a dream, but whatever it was, the interesting thing is she was the last person in our family to use healing and to use magic. Mm. And I'm the next one in line that's done that. Mm. So I've passed that on to my girls. And when my parents went back to the town she was from in the South, they were all scared of them. And this woman, my great-grandmother's been dead since the 60s. And um, 
because she was known as a witch because she was such a powerful healer that even the Indians would come and see her. Mm. She was so powerful. But they, and I think because she did healing, they thought, you know, she was a witch. But when my grandfather had cancer, because um, my, my great-grandma had this big book that had recipes in it of all her cures and stuff, and he was looking yeah. for that book because apparently in it was a cure for cancer. Nobody mm. knows what happened to her book. So, oh wow. Yeah, so that's what started me on my on my journey of that because I had talents that were coming out that I wanted to know where did they come from. And, right. Mm-hmm. So do you still have a relationship with her with your great-grandmother? Um yes, Was so great-grandmother great-grandmother. My great-grandmother. Okay. So she's on she's on my ancestral altar. I keep an ancestral altar. And I had a friend who recently passed away, so his stuff is on there. Mm. And um just who I feel my ancestors are and I'll give them like a glass of cold water and I'll light a white candle for them. And, but it's just a place to honor them. And I feel when they want things Yeah. since I started keeping this altar, I feel when they want things and I can feel them come in and talk to me and guide me and, and help me out. And it's, and, um, it's been really neat. But if you think about it, you know, with your kids and if you knew that you could have an effect on, on lives of great grandchildren, even that you, maybe you won't meet, you'd do it. Right. If they called and lit a candle, you'd come right in and, and you'd help them. Yeah. And the other thing is, when you think about it, when a ba- when a girl baby is born, she's born with every egg she will ever have. She's not mm. making more eggs like boys make sperm, right? That's true. So, yeah. when your mother was a baby inside the womb of your grandmother, you were an egg inside yes. her body. Isn't that just the most marvelous yes. thing? Oh, I love that. It's so fantastic. <laughs> uh-huh. It's so powerful. And that sense of, I feel like too, when we have a real sense of where mm-hmm. we stand in that continuum, right? Like mm-hmm. not only is it a way to to always feel connected, even if our relationships on this plane aren't mm-hmm. doing well at the moment do you know what I mean there is this sense of connection that mm-hmm. there are all those that have come before me that have worked to pave my way mm-hmm. and there are all these coming after me whose way I'm paving right right and when we're in that sort of um in that crossroads in that cross in that 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 if when we're in that space of Um, those that have come before and those that have come after, I feel like it has this incredible clarifying space to it as well. Mm -hmm. Right. That it it isn't, um, it isn't just about me. Mm -hmm. It's, it's all, all the things they worked for to bring me here and the things that those to come are looking for me to bring for them. Right. Right. It's, right. It just keeps you connected to the sense of purpose. Like, mm-hmm. like, what, what, what am I doing with my life? You know. Yes. <laughs> and I feel like to it, um, and I love that because it's very similar to mine. I don't, you know, it's it's a very simple practice of, and I love. Um, it's been funny because since I started this this year is when I really started it. Mm-hmm. So I realized that. Um, and it's funny, isn't it? The way that these things kind of pass themselves through. I realized that my way of decorating was actually 
I was making little altars all around my house, mm-hmm. right? Every little bookshelf, every, <laughs> awesome. every wall, you know, there were all these little altars uh-huh. and, um, and I knew that I always wanted, you know, oh, well those things just belong together, you know? So I would right. like group these little things there. Um, and now I recognize, now I'm doing it much more consciously, uh-huh. right? Like, oh, I'm going to, so if there's something that I'm working with or struggling with, then, then I'll make an altar for that somewhere. Mm-hmm. And when I run across something that makes me think of it, or I feel like belongs to that, then it's a way for me to, 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 to perform that alchemy mm-hmm. to take, to find the pinhole mm-hmm. and, and stretch it open. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, and like in my house, um, above my patio doors, I have these chakra pieces that I did. And it was essentially the altar for that chakra mm-hmm. while I was learning about those different energy centers and focusing on them. Right. Mm-hmm. Then it just, I, and then I painted it and glued everything down and, <laughs> you know, cool. and it became a piece that it's hanging on my wall now. But, but so I feel like the altars in themselves is a way to focus our attention and energy to act as a, as a sort of uh, bulletin board uh-huh. when we're learning about something. Right. Um, and so that space for the ancestors. Um, and now I'm seeing these cause I love, like I love little, little, little fairy pictures and little teeny tiny fairy mm-hmm. teacups and, you know, like these little doll sets. Mm-hmm. And, um, now I, I see them as offering bowls, right? Like this mm-hmm. way that we've, had this woven in and this love for these kind of things, I mm-hmm. think is this natural impulse towards wanting to set those kind of things up. So I have these little doll tea sets that mm-hmm. are on some of my altars and, That's um, cool. and just, you know, it only takes a couple of drops of water really to fill yeah. that little cup up and spend going every morning mm-hmm. and lighting a stick of incense and lighting a candle mm-hmm. and making sure that there's water there. And it, it just takes a couple of minutes yeah, to do does. that every day. But mm-hmm. It's that, that, um, uh, you know, just saying howdy over the, over the fence, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Just to, <laughs> mm-hmm. just to keep the relationship going. Mm-hmm. And I think too, um, when it comes to times that we end up, when we lose people, right. If we're, if, if we know that that relationship continues, that when they're, they're not, they're not on this plane anymore, but my relationship with them does not have to be finished. Right. Right. That, um, that, that it's gonna, it's gonna shift and change, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean that they're gone from my life, Mm -hmm. you know? Right. Right. Mm. Okay, so time for our last segment of implementation station, just to kind of wrap up some of the things that we've talked about. So um, first, we spent a lot of time talking about uh, working with judgment and mm-hmm. um, and the way that that blocks our creativity and things like this. Um, and so I think like in this uh, political cycle, mm-hmm. you can get lots and lots of practice. <laughs> <laughs> Of when you find yourself wanting to judge the other, um, to really flip that inwards and find where, just always assume that they are a reflection of you Mm -hmm. and what are they reflecting? And then Mm -hmm. how do, how do you, what part of you is asking for attention and Mm -hmm. and then sit down and have a conversation with Mm -hmm. that, with that part of you. Would Mm -hmm. there be anything that you'd add to that as far as like 
um, practical steps on how to work on it? Not necessarily. The book that really transformed my life with judgment was reading um, Debbie Ford's Dark Side of the Light Chasers. Oh, love that book. Yes. Yeah, that opened my eyes about <gasps> so good. judging. and Because she said, if you're, if you're really angry at somebody at a certain thing they're doing, where have you yourself done that same yes. thing? And yeah. asking that question, I'm like, oh, well, maybe, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I might have, you know, earlier in my life. But yeah, yeah it really opened my eyes to... Um, yeah, to me that. too. That was a big part for me. So I'll mm-hmm. I'll definitely put that book in the in the show notes for the link so you can mm-hmm. find that. Um, very very powerful book on working with the shadow side and mm-hmm. flipping that judgment around. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, love that book. Love it. <laughs> so and then um, in this time of uh, the thinning of the veil and the time of the ancestors, mm-hmm. um, then. Uh, yeah, what would you say if people are like, okay, that sounds kind of interesting, so what would I do? Okay, so if you want to keep an ancestral altar where you honor your ancestors, I have mine on um, like a glass tabletop, you know, but you can have it any place that where you feel like you can connect with them. Um, you can have pictures of your ancestors on there. Um, I usually light a white candle that can be like a tea light. I know some people that just do the flip switch lights mm, yeah that do that um you can offer them incense you can leave a cold glass of water some people will leave a cup of coffee for them if they drink coffee but what i have also been taught is that if you have an ancestral altar you don't want to keep pictures of anybody who's currently alive on the ancestral altar okay these are all people that are crossed over okay on the altar itself on the altar itself okay yeah so like in my house my ancestor altar is in my entry hall uh-huh. which um uh, in the entry hall, we've got like all the family pictures, right? right for Jason and I both. So, uh-huh. um, so that might be a place that people think of very naturally. And yes. if you're doing any kind of feng shui stuff, that is the family section of the house for the oh, feng cool. shui. So, That's awesome. um, so it seems like a really natural place yes. to put it for me. Um, and then the altar is sort of into the niche at the back of that wall in uh-huh. my house. So, um, so would you say like, Something like that would be fine as long as there weren't pictures of of the living on this altar itself. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. That. Yeah. All right. And mm-hmm. so, like we'd said, just something really sim- something as simple as uh, lighting a candle, yeah, lighting some incense, lighting some incense, sure. and giving them a little drink of water. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of people that say that. Uh, the sense of smell mm-hmm. is the only sense that does cross over. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why a lot of times people will burn incense on altars mm-hmm. because it's the the scent of the incense that brings mm-hmm. them in, as mm-hmm. well as like with really pungent smelling foods, right? Yes. So if you do have food offerings there, um, then finding something that, foods that they really love, yes. you know. And a lot of people ask about, well, how do I dispose of those things? Yeah. So what I do, if I'm leaving food for my ancestors, I'll leave a plate out and leave it overnight. And then in the evening, you know, I just say a prayer to bless it. And then I just, I just throw it out like I would any food. Because okay. they've already taken the energy out of it. Right, that they is. take the energy out. So uh-huh. one of the things I've heard too um, is about, then you can take it outside and give it to local spirits animals. that are on your property. Yeah, you can. You can. Absolutely. You can leave um, food out for the animals or for whatever. And that's actually very appropriate to do that. Yeah. So that's mm-hmm. one way to um, 
and you're we're just talking about very tiny pieces of right. food they they because they're looking for the energy they don't yeah. eat a lot so you really like a big old heaping plate. exactly seriously like a doll plate and a doll pitcher are going to be more than enough to, mm-hmm. to to give an offering um so we're not talking about like half a loaf of bread and you've got rats coming into your yard or right. something like <laughs> right my ancestors don't get food a whole lot because I have cats. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Mine, mine don't mine get, bother it. Mine Maybe get they don't like, like what I put up there. That could be. Yeah. Mine get a lot of... Well, um, when I went outside last night, I had this overwhelming smell of Palo Santo. Mm. And I live in an apartment complex and there is no way in heck there's Palo Santo anywhere near there. And I thought, okay, it's Halloween. Yeah. Um, they, want, um, they want some smoke. Yeah. So, so that's one of the ways that you kind of yeah. know what they're looking for. So when I came back, I lit the Palo Santo and, and, and wafted it around and they liked right, it. Right, right, right. Yeah. Okay. All mm-hmm. right. So if you're looking to uh, start, start an ancestor altar and begin mm-hmm. that, that journey of getting in touch with mm-hmm. your family's song and, um, and getting that wisdom from those that have gone before, mm-hmm. I think especially in these times, mm-hmm. there's, there's so much shift and change. Um, and it looks like we're going backwards in a lot of places. Um, but I think, I think in a lot of places we're actually, we are actually moving forward. Yeah. You had a vision about this this week, actually. I did. It was a dream where I was living in a dystopian world and, um, it was all messed up. The clouds were all dark and scary, but I wasn't scared in the dream at all. And then how clouds will sometimes have holes yeah. in them. My girlfriend calls them portals. I like that. Yeah. But I could see all of this um, creative lightning behind it. And it was friendly. Creative lightning is the only way I can describe it. And it was hope. So like mm. if you're flying in an airplane and you fly over someplace that's overcast, but you're over the clouds and you can see the sun and the blue sky. That's what it was, is that we're actually surrounded by all of this hope, hope and faith and good, good, good juju. Yeah. And we just have a cloudy sky right now. That's yeah. all it is, yeah. is what yeah. I got from that. Yeah. and I And I think that like ancestral practice, mm-hmm. right, is um, is a really great way to, to to pierce a hole in the clouds. Oh, it's and... a great way. It's an absolutely great way. When um, the Gulf War happened, there was this older woman in a spiritual group I was in, and she said, you know what, I've lived through World War II and the Vietnam War, and she goes, we'll get over this. Yeah. I mean, it's hard when it happens, but we're going to make it through. Yeah. And, and it, it was just reassuring to hear yeah, that from her because yeah. those were way bigger things than what we were right. going through right now. I think it's equivalent. Yeah. I think we've been at the place where we're equivalent now, but it's, it is this connecting sure. us to the larger arc, yeah. right? And Martin Luther King Jr. talked about that too, about that long arc of justice. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I do feel like an ancestral practice is a way to connect to that larger arc mm-hmm. and draw on the wisdom of those that have been through this mm-hmm. before many times, possibly. Right. right. Um, and, uh, and, and, and find, find a way to, to pierce the angry sky yeah. and find that creative lightning behind. I mean, all the stuff they probably went through. Oh my God. Yeah. Absolutely. The Middle Ages, the Dark Ages. Right. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> so, and I, and I feel like now, too, uh, I know for my personal practice, the thing that I'm really focusing on this week um, is going going to the ancestral plane, which is another topic for another day. And maybe I'll do a, a guided meditation or something that folks could use mm-hmm. to do that. But going to the ancestral plane and and releasing the tumultuous mm-hmm. energies and, and emotions that were left behind yeah. with some of That's these experiences that they went through. Right. Because mm-hmm. I feel like, 
I just feel like that's that's the thing that's coming to me right now on what I can do mm-hmm. to sort of grease the wheels mm-hmm. of this shift, right? I see that the shift is coming. I know that shift is always difficult. It's tumultuous. But um, if there's a way that I can help, you know, like have that be a little more graceful and, mm-hmm. and, and easeful um, and, and remove some of the turbulence a little bit, then... then that can help. Yeah. Yeah. So, and the other thing is like, for example, musicians run in my family. So there's a story about playing music. And one of the people I met who's really intensely into ancestor worship mentioned that he believes that we're here to fulfill the karma of our family lines. And it's mm. not a punishment thing. It's a dream thing. Hmm. Like they dream of expressing themselves musically, mm. you know, and, and they want that dream to actually pop. And so he believed that once you make those dreams happen, then your descendants are able to flow with that because they're bringing this gift into the world. Mm. So that's lineage. when you sort of, and kind of to, to loop back into what we were talking earlier mm-hmm. about like buying things for our kids that are actually like, yeah, it's by something like living that. through. Yeah. But if we, if we can go into that and do it consciously, mm-hmm. then we can forecome some of the vicariousness and, make it a little bit easier for those that come after right. to really be able to sing their their authentic line in the family song, if yeah. that makes any sense. Yeah, so we're bringing to life um, dreams that they may have had. And it doesn't mean we're living their dream, but I have a talent for art, and there have been artists in my family. And so I know my getting my art out there and, and getting it to move and selling it and connecting with people is manifesting a dream that they have, and there's a reward for you if you do that, mm. by the way. Mm. There's something that comes to you because you do that. Mm. Mm. Yeah, beyond the joy of just letting... Yeah, beyond the joy, there's something of, in of that. letting that flow. Because um, the belief also then is that you reincarnate through your family line. Yeah. So if you're coming back through your family line, you might want to make it really primo. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Because it's not... Um, because we are all connected mm-hmm. and it's not just about us mm-hmm. right but um and that's one of the things too i've said for years like you don't have to be this really philanthropic um kind of soul to to do what's right right, right. because you you yeah. are actually making it easier for yourself when you do those things yeah yeah all right well thanks so much for being us today this was was a lot of fun yeah thank you for having me all right and thanks for listening join us um on the facebook group at uh kitchen table alchemy dot uh kitchen table alchemy just send a request over and um and we'll let you into that and then um yeah make sure you're subscribed so these guys come in right away take care So glad that you could join us today. And we are here to start a conversation, not be the conversation. So we would love to have you join us uh, around the digital campfire. Uh, You can come to the Facebook page, find Kitchen Table Alchemy, the group. um, And that's a great place to connect with other people, uh, talk about what we've been talking about, also to find out where our next pop-up podcast is going to be. And Pinterest, find us on Pinterest. So that article that you were looking for that you've scrolled through and you can't find it, it's probably on the Pinterest board. So uh, go find the Kitchen Table Alchemy group over on Pinterest. 
And for the latest episodes, you can go to our website, kitchentablealchemy.com, or you can subscribe through iTunes. And that way it's downloaded automatically. You don't have to remember anything. That's that's what I like. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So we've loved having you. Y'all come back now, you hear? 